Hi there. My name is Preston Puto. Welcome to the Lake Ridge Community Church Podcast. This is where we share some of our messages from Sunday mornings. So we're glad you're here to listen. We'd love for you to join us in person. We meet on Sunday mornings at 10.30 a.m. at Our Lady of Wisdom School here in Chestermere. At our core, we're a community of people. So we gather on Sundays, but we also do a lot in the week together. We are people learning to follow Jesus and love our city. So to learn more, visit lakeridgecommunity.com. Hope to check in and visit with you soon. Take care. Thanks for listening. Okay, so um, today's sermon... um I, uh, we're, we're talking about uh, Hagar and Ishmael together today, and I, um, have you ever, like, I don't know if anyone here writes or is creative in any way, whether you're, like, you know, you're an artist or something like that. Have you ever found yourself, like, writing or, um, or creating something, and you kind of start going in a direction, and then you kind of start going in a different direction than you thought you were going, and then the end product is not what you expected at all? Well, if you haven't, that's fine, but that was me. Like, really, I, I, I started uh, writing, I, I started with um, going over um, the, the text in the Bible in Genesis and reading um, this story about Hagar and Ishmael, and I, and I read it over and over and over again. I probably read it a dozen times trying to, trying to understand what, what's happening and trying to let it kind of seep in. And, and, and as I was reading, I was like starting to write and starting to think, and I'm like, ooh, this is not the direction I thought I was going in. And then I started doing some research, and I'm like, oh, wow, this is, this is way different. Okay, so this is, uh, we're going to go some places today. So, um, first of all, um, we've been, last week we looked at uh, Abram and Sarai. And um, in, in the next coming weeks, we're going to look at uh, Abraham and Sarai, and we're going to look at their family as well and different aspects of their family. So we're going to kind of focus in on this family for the next few weeks in our study in Genesis. But from my growing up and from my um, understanding of the Bible, um, I always viewed Abraham and Sarah as, um, as heroes. Like there's, they're, they're these people that like are respected and, and loved. And, you know, like we're actually supposed to look to them for guide, like see how they behaved and then emulate that. Like, they, 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 they were heroes of faith. Their journeys and their, their lives, life stories were ones that um, can help shape us. And so I had an understanding of Abraham and Sarah as that. And then I read this story of Hagar and Ishmael that I've read before, but I haven't really focused on it. And I realized that Abraham or Abram and Sarai are not the heroes of the story. In fact, they're, they're the villains they are the antagonists. They are the people that um, ruin people's lives. And that kind of set me, like, I was confused. I'm like, what? what? These guys are heroes. How are, they, how are they ruining people's lives? Why are people looking up to them? Why are they so respected? Yet here in Scripture, plain as day, they ruin some people's lives. And I want to read about how that happened. So I'm going to go through the passage. It's, uh, um, I'm just going to start reading. 
and I'll stop every once in a while and kind of explain what's happening. So it says, Now Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian slave named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. So sleep with my slave. Perhaps I can build a family through her. So basically what's happening is, um, for a little bit of context here, Abram and Sarai are 80 to 83, 83 years old. They are in their 80s. And they can't have kids. I don't know about you guys, but um, we kind of understand biology to the way that 80-year-olds probably aren't having kids. That's just, it's biologically pretty much impossible. I have not heard of a case of 80-year-olds uh, having kids, but that's, that's kind of the, the, the reality of what's happening here. And, and, during, um, and during this period of when they were alive, like the context of the time, is um, childbearing was given great honor. Um, to not have a child would be looked down upon. And also, Abram and Sarah, um, they, they were quite wealthy. They were, they were looked, uh, a lot of people followed them. Um, and to have an heir was also really important and really culturally important for them as well. And despite, so, so all of these things are going through their head. They're like, we have all this money, we want, but we also, the fact that we can't have a kid is, is culturally, like we're, we're lesser than others. And so there's this, this societal pressure that's creeping in. But before, earlier in Genesis, God promises Abram that he would be a father of many nations. But he does not hold on to God's promise here. Um, anxiety in old age creeps in and a distrust in God ultimately leads um, to them making poor decisions. Anyway, let me continue. It says in verse um, here, it says, So after Abram had been living in Canaan ten years, Sarai, his wife, took her Egyptian slave Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. He slept with Hagar, and she conceived. When she, began, when she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. So what we're going to do over the next few, uh, the few verses here in Genesis, Genesis 16 is we're going to go through um, this story through Hagar's perspective. Now, um, for Sarai to find Hagar, the understanding is that she would be of childbearing age. And childbearing age, through a little bit of research at that time, was anywhere between the ages of 12 and 20. So Hagar is a teenager. She is as young as 12 and as old as 20 and is a slave and is asked by this 80-year-old couple saying, you need to sleep with my husband and you need to have his kid. This is the tension that is happening in this, this scripture, this, this story. It is, it, is, it, is, it is scary, um, it is horrible. Um, humanity is essentially being stripped from Hagar. This teenager is being forced to do something that she definitely does not want to do. But not only that, carry a kid for this family. 
going to continue reading. Then Sarai said to Abram, you're responsible for the wrong I am suffering. I put my slave in your arms, and now that she knows she is pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Well, of course Hagar despises you. Like you read that first, you're like, what? Hagar, of course Hagar despises Abram and Sarah. This is such an awful situation that she probably has no desire to be a part of. Because she is the slave, she is forced to do it though. And so now she is looking after, well she is, um, sorry, slowly growing a baby in her belly and starts to grow resentment towards the people that forced this into her. It is, it is quite, quite awful. None of this was her choice. Of course she is resentful. And so she is growing resentful, and then Sarai complains to Abram, oh, send her away. She's being too resentful. Like, there's this, like, how do you win in this situation? And so, um, continues in verse 6, it says, Your slave is in your hands, Abram said. Do with her whatever you think best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar, so she fled from her. Sarah, in her own jealousy, then goes to mistreat Hagar so badly that she chooses to flee. I will never have my own child growing inside me, but I'm sure from the stories I've heard, to flee, to run away while pregnant is a like the last form of desperation. To go from somewhere that is known and you know what's happening to go to the unknown has got to be one of the most desperate things a mother could ever do in her life. So she flees. To, do, to flee would mean that Hagar would think that it is safer for her baby to be elsewhere. And this isn't a place where, this isn't a culture where, um, you know, there's homeless shelters or there's programs that come in and, and help these people. Who, this is a slave woman who has run from her master. She has broken the law. Is pregnant without a husband. In this culture, this is a death sentence. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. So I'm reading again from verse 7. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. And he said, Hagar, slave of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I am running away from my mistress Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will increase your descendants so much that you that they will be too numerous to count. So the, the angel of the Lord honors her pain and, re, and reinforces that you know there's this um, great honor of having many descendants if she returns. But Hagar is in this situation that is just trapping. So she goes back. Then there's a little bit of a break in the story. Um, 
There's a few chapters that happen that we might be discussing over the next few weeks. There's the story of Sodom and Gomorrah that happens. There's, um, and then there's the story of Abram and Sarah becoming Abraham and Sarah. Uh, that we'll, we'll be discussing now over the next couple weeks for sure too. And then they also have a son, Isaac. Another story we'll be, we're going to be talking a lot about Abraham over the next few weeks. But um, all of these things happen over the next few chapters. And then Hagar and Ishmael's story continues in Genesis 21, verse 8. So there's about four or five chapters here that kind of go, go, go past, and then we hear what's happened with Hagar and Ishmael. And it says in verse 8, the child Isaac grew and was weaned. So basically Abraham, Abram, who is now Abraham, and Sarai, who is now Sarah, um, have a child, Isaac, and it's their own. It is the promise that God gave for them. God promised that they would have generations that came out of them, and Isaac, at the age of, like, I think 99, or in in the 90s, has Isaac. Um, It says, The child grew and was weaned, and on the day Isaac was weaned, Abraham had a great feast. But Sarah was the son, but Sarah saw that the son whom Hagar the Egyptian had born to And she said to Abraham, get rid of the slave woman and her son, for that woman's son will never share in the inheritance with my son Isaac. The crazy thing about this is Sarah started this whole thing. Sarah went to her husband and said, sleep with my slave so that I can have a kid. It was the understanding that once once Ishmael was born, that Sarah and Abraham would then take care of Ishmael. This was... This was their heir. This was their future. This, is, this was God's promise according to them. And, and instead, they found that they could have their own son much later in life. And all Sarah saw was something to get rid of. The woman obviously sees Ishmael as nothing more than a nuisance. The interesting thing about this, it says, is um, in verse 10, she says, get rid of that slave woman and her son. She can't even call them by their names. Get rid of that slave woman and her son. Continues in verse 11. It says, the matter distressed Abraham greatly because it concerned his son. This was his blood. He's the one that slept with um, Hagar. But God said to him, Do not be so distressed about the boy and the woman. Listen to whatever Sarah tells you, because it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. I will make the son of the slave into a nation also, because he is also your offspring. Abraham had compassion. He's conflicted, but his his promise here is that they will be taken care of, so he lets them go. Um, Continues in verse 14. Early the next morning, Abraham took some food and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. He set them on her shoulders and then sent her off with the boy. She went on her way and wandered in the desert of Beersheba. Abraham is doing the bare minimum here, giving them some water, but he has promised from God. He's promised from God that they would be taken care of. 
So he lets them go. When the water and the skin was gone, I'm continuing in verse 15. When the water and the skin was gone, she, Hagar, put the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went off and sat down about a bow shot away. So probably to the other end of the parking lot over there. And she sat that far away. I cannot watch this boy die. And as she sat there, she began to sob. Her son was dying. And then God heard the boy crying, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said, What is the matter, Hagar? Do not be afraid. God has heard the boy crying as he lies there. Lift the boy up and take him by the hand, for I will make him into a great nation. God is fulfilling his promise to both Abraham and Hagar, meeting them in their moments of need. Keeping them alive, he is pushing them forward. And it continues saying, Then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the skin with water and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy as he grew up. He lived in the desert and became an archer. While he was living in the desert of Haran, his mother got a wife for him from Egypt. That's essentially the end of the story of Hagar and Ishmael. We learn that God remained with Ishmael as he grew up, and he continued to honor his promise. And and nations of people came from his blood. Here's here's a thing that... um, puzzled me and made me start to think, because as I read these stories, like, again, I was thinking, maybe let's find a, you know, like an optimism through this. Let's find, but there's not really much, you know, peace or optimism or, or anything really routed in this story. Like, there's, there's, there's God showing up in desperation. Um, but here we have the supposed stars of the first bit of Genesis, Abraham and Sarah, these people that are honored and loved, treating this woman like absolute dirt. You know, in Hebrews chapter 11, I want to read a little part of it. Hebrews chapter 11 has um, this uh, section of the Bible, which um, I learned is to be called like the Faith Hall of Fame. All of the people who through the Old Testament, who exemplified faith, who showed great faith, were, were, are highlighted in this chapter. And, I, and I'm going to read. Um, I'm going to read part of it. And a big part of this chapter is devoted to Abraham. I'm only going to read parts of it. Um, it says here in Hebrews 11, chapter Hebrews chapter 11, verse 8. It says, "By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as, an, as his inheritance." obeyed and went. And though he did not know where he was going, by faith he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign city. He lived in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. And by faith even Sarah, who was past childbearing age, was enabled to bear children because she can Considered him faithful, who had been made, 
who had made the promise. And so from this old man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, as countless as the sands on the seashore. This actually continues, and they talked about the faith of Abraham for more and more verses. And I read this just after reading this story of of Hagar and Ishmael, and I'm like, what faith? This seems easy. You, you didn't have faith. In fact, you had so little faith that you told your husband to go sleep with your slave. And then when they had a kid, you abandoned it, left it for dead. And I'm reading this, I'm confused, and I'm kind of like, and, and I find myself angry inside. I'm like, how is this, how is this a person represented as faith? And I took a breath and I took a step back and I kind of was like, okay, there's more to the story, isn't there? Another thing about Hebrews 11 talks about the faith of Abraham and Sarah. What about the faith of Hagar? She was the one taking advantage of. She is the one who obeyed her master. She's the one that trusted God with her life. My uh, degree in school is Bachelor of Arts in Leadership Development. So I have taken quite a few years studying different leaders, um, Christian leaders, leaders who aren't of faith, leaders of different faiths, spent time researching them and seeing common threads and understanding them. And I learned this all in Bible college, and it was a great experience. Um, We read many books from perceived excellent leaders over the years, Um, both from leaders who are alive today and leaders who aren't here anymore. Um, They did amazing things. Um, but there, there's an interesting thing that I've learned over the last few years is that there's some leaders that I read about in school that are alive today that I read their book and today they are no longer allowed to be pastors or leaders because of something horrible that they did. Um, these stories are all over the internet so I'm not like shaming anything or anything, but like there's, there's people out there that are just all over the news. There's, I read, I can't tell you how many Bill Hybels books I had to read in school. But now he can't be a pastor anymore because of the decisions he's decided to make. I can't tell you, I've read a few Brexy Cavey books, not just in school, but outside of school. But now he can't be a pastor because of the decisions he's made. a person that's uh, looked up to from many people. I I don't necessarily follow him myself. Carl Lentz is this huge pastor in New York that so many people loved and followed, and so many people became followers and friends and became Jesus followers because of his messages and his charisma and his love and his passion. No longer able to be a pastor because of the decisions he's made in his life. All three of these leaders in the last couple of years have fallen. These are recent, two, three years. They have all made huge, massive mistakes. 
that have torn down their careers, hurting hundreds or even thousands of people in the process. Thousands, probably. But my question for you is, does this make their work invalid? The good things that they did, the lives of the people that they've transformed and worked with, does this make that invalid? In my own life, it's these leaders that everyone loves and respects that have actually hurt me incredibly deeply. Yeah, leaders that, from face value, have hurt me. When you're hurt, all you want to do is see the person fail. You want to drag their name through the mud. You want people to know the real them. The version of them that only you have seen. It's understandable. It makes sense to feel that way because hurt people, people who are hurt, hurt people. I'm bet, I'm willing to bet that anyone in this room can think of a leader that has hurt them. Everyone. You probably have someone coming to your mind right now. Everyone in this room can think of a leader, someone that should have been either leading them, a boss, a parent, um, a friend who is leading them in some aspect or another has hurt you. And at certain points, maybe even still, you probably wish that that was exposed. You probably wish that the whole world could see the damage that has happened. Well, let's look at the flip side. All of us, no matter how young you are or how old you are, have inevitably found yourself in a situation where you are leading someone else. I'm willing to bet that everyone in this room has also hurt someone else. And I bet that most of you who have hurt someone else probably don't know how much you've hurt that person. You probably don't know the full extent. You probably don't know the hours of sleepless nights that that person had or, or the, the repercussions that it's had on their mental um, ability to function because you're not them and you actually don't get to hear all of that. And in fact, they probably put up barriers and walls and you probably don't get to see it or hear it, you probably have hurt people too in a leadership role. But there is good news actually in this. The good news is we are actually not our worst moments. You are not your worst moments. If you study the story from the lens of Hagar and Ishmael and leave it at that, then of course Abraham and Sarah are evil. Of course. If you just read this story, 
Your takeaway is, what the heck? Of course they're awful people. But if we look at the context of the whole story, one that we studied last week, and again next week, and then the week after that, maybe we can take not their faults and pigeonhole them in their faults, but instead that this is but, but instead, not make an excuse to let people go for their mistakes. What hopefully this can do is help see where God is working in people's lives despite their mistakes. This doesn't excuse the horrendous acts people do to one another. Some people need to be fired from their jobs. Some people need to not be need to take a break for a while. Some people need, you need to have a break from. Some people you need to take a step back from. Some people need to not be in the spotlight anymore. Yes, absolutely, 100%. However, the story of Abraham and Sarah are of real people that have really screwed up, that have really hurt people there's also so much more to their story because like you and I, we have really hurt people. And we have been really hurt ourselves. And we can't do away with the good that someone is because we are all created in the image of God. We are all created in a way that it's just you're all created in, 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 different, in different ways that we, we, we hurt people. We are hurt ourselves. But do you know what Jesus does with his enemies? Do you know what Jesus does with the people who betray him, who hurt him, who say they're going to do one thing but do another, and that decision ends his life? That decision leaves him hopeless. He gets down on his hands and his feet. And he washes their feet. And he loves them. And he sees that God is still working in their lives despite their mistakes. And I think that this is a story that kind of highlights that. There's a tension here. There's this tension of how horrible of a life Hagar ended up living because of Abraham and Sarah's decision. And that shouldn't be excused. That shouldn't be ignored. That shouldn't be skipped over in the Bible because it's there and it's right there. Abraham and Sarah were by no means perfect. But on the other hand, they did some amazing things. There's some people in my life that have really hurt me that are going to go on to do some amazing things. And my job is to try and find the balance of letting that person have God work through them, but also not, not being walked over. And this is complicated, and each person's different, each situation is different, and I think that's okay.
that's, that's all I have for you guys. If you guys want to take a stand, and I'll give you guys the blessing as we go. I'm just going to pray quickly. God, thank you so much for who you are. Lord, I pray for the people who have been hurt in this room. I pray that they experience freedom. I pray that they experience peace. I pray that they know that just like Hagar and Ishmael, that God is with them. And that his promises are true. Lord, help us to not hurt others. Help us to have open hearts. And help us to trust you, God. Because that was what, that's what happened with Abraham and Sarah. They did not trust you, Lord. So God, help us to trust you. So may the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace as we go today. Amen. Thanks, guys.